Good morning and welcome to church. My name's Lachlan, one of the pastors here at Auckland EV. I'm a bit sick this morning, so I might need to resort to those. That will come up later on. Uh, I might blank out at some points. It could be fun this morning. I, I've spent more time in bed over the last three days than out of bed, not because I'm lazy, but uh, trying to rest and recover. Uh, but thankfully, I've been learning from 2 Corinthians that God is strong in weakness And so my prayer is that through my weak words and through this weak vessel of my body this morning, we would hear the Word of God. Let me pray that God would do that amongst us today. Father, thank you so much for all that you've given us to celebrate this morning. It's been wonderful uh, seeing children born into families of believers who know and trust you and who therefore have hope of everlasting life. We continue to pray for those children, that you would grow them up to be mighty servants of Jesus. Please now, as we come to your word, teach us, instruct us, change us, that we too might continue to submit every aspect of our lives to your good and loving rule. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing on in 2 Corinthians this morning, uh, and we, we come to a a part of God's Word that speaks into, I think, one of the great sadnesses in life and in the world. Uh, I wonder if you've experienced the sadness in this world of broken or fractured relationships. It happens amongst families. Siblings fall out with one another. Uh, Kids fight with their parents. Husband and wife are at odds with one another. It happens in the workplace as well, doesn't it? Snarky and gossipy colleagues bullying bosses or disrespectful employees, Uh, all of these things, they represent a loss of harmony, a loss of peace. And we feel the pain when that happens. I'm sure you've experienced the pain of some relationship that once was good and has now become fractured. The pain of all of those fractured relationships gives a glimpse into the great pain of the hostility that exists between the world and God. I don't know if that's the way that you see the world. As you look about and you see people going about their daily lives, waking up in the morning and eating their wheat bix, jumping in the car to get off to work, working the full day, coming home to spend time with family or friends, going to sleep, it doesn't often look like a world that is hostile to God. But I want you to imagine for a moment a family where the children go about all their daily tasks. They wake up, they eat their wheat bix. They go off to school. Imagine a family where the children go about all their daily tasks and they never once speak to their parents. They never once acknowledge that their parents even exist. Never once thank their parents. They even actively disobey their parents. That would be a broken relationship right there, wouldn't it? A broken family where kids are not honouring their parents as their parents ought to be honoured. That's why Father's Day is so good, because at least one day in a year, kids are forced to go, oh yeah, my dad actually does stuff for me. He drives me around everywhere, that's pretty great. He helps me to have food on the table, he teaches me good things about life. It, I reckon it took me till my 20s before I properly appreciated all that my dad had done for me throughout childhood. And yet most of the world go about their daily lives with no recognition of all that God has done for them. Most people rarely acknowledge that God exists. If they do, they rarely speak to him. They don't often thank him. Some people even make up their own God, replacing the true and living God with something that has no basis in reality. 
the world lives in hostility to God. And some of you here this morning, as you sit here right now, you are an enemy of God. I used to be God's enemy. And then I found the truth that comes up in today's passage, 2 Corinthians 5. It's an amazing truth. A truth that allowed me to admit that I was in the wrong with God. A truth that allowed me to admit I was God's enemy. Because until I found this truth, I, I struggled to admit that. It's a wonderful truth for this Father's Day. Here it is. God has reconciled the world to himself. God has reconciled the world to himself. Have a look with me. I hope you've got your Bible open there. It should be up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. I think this is the key verse of the whole chunk that we're looking at today. You might have noticed as it was read, it was like, how many times can I say the word reconcile in these verses? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. Everything is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. What this is saying is that God has made a way for you and for me, his enemies, to lay down our hostility and come back to him. God's arms are open wide for reconciliation. It's like he's put out his hand ready to shake your hand. He's leaned forward for the kiss. And yet so many people leave God hanging. They add to their already long list of offenses against God by rejecting his offer of reconciliation. See, have a look at what God has done to open up this way of reconciliation for us. Verse 19 tells us that God doesn't count our trespasses against us. You know what a trespass is, don't you? A trespass is where you go out of bounds. There's a boundary line that's been set up and you cross over that line. Uh, At school, my friends and I used to cross over that line many times. The teachers would chase after us, trying to convince us that we should come back in the bounds of the school yard. It wasn't fun inside there. We used to go outside. You could play much better games out there with the cars and other things going on. Uh, We would trespass. We would go out of bounds. God's boundary line was his law. Don't worship other gods. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't envy. God's boundary line was summed up by Jesus. Love the Lord your God with your all. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you and I have trespassed that a lot, haven't we? We haven't always loved others, let alone loving God as we ought to. Imagine for a moment that this book, I know it says it's Matthew Henry's commentary, but ignore that. We'll put a new name on the spine. This is your life story. And contained within here is a record of all the times that you have dishonored, disobeyed God. Every wrong word, every wrong deed, every wrong thought. It's a big book, right? If this was the book of my life story, I wouldn't want you to read it. There's stuff in here that I'm deeply ashamed of. And if you're honest with yourself, I I think you'd say the same for you. If this book recorded every wrong word of yours, every wrong deed of yours, every wrong thought of yours, you you wouldn't want others to know that. Now, if this is me and God's up there in the roof, this book is a big barrier between me and God. Our relationship is broken. We are hostile towards one another. 
This is a record of our wrong. Now, in our broken human relationships, we're good at keeping a record of wrong, aren't we? When the conflict starts up, whether it be with the spouse or the sibling or the parent or the colleague, we instantly go back. But a month ago, you said this to me. A year ago, you did this to me. We keep this record of wrong in our human relationships. But do you see what verse 19 says? It's an amazing claim. God doesn't count our trespasses against us. God is willing to look at this fat record of our wrong and say, no, it doesn't matter to me. God doesn't do that lightly. It costs God to forget our trespasses. You get a hint of it in verse 18 and 19 there, where it says that God reconciles the world to himself through Christ and in Christ. Now, Paul fills out what that means down in verse 21. Have a look there. If, this, if you're using your own Bible this morning, this is worth underlining, highlighting, worth memorizing. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. Mark it out there. He, that is God, made the one who did not know sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So if we come back to this book... It, the barrier between myself and God. Jesus is no barrier. Jesus didn't know sin. Jesus was sinless, perfect, no barrier between him and God. That's why this verse refers to him as the one who did not know sin. But then God did something profound, something crazy. God placed on Jesus my record of wrongdoing. And not just mine, but the record of wrongdoing of all people in all of history placed on Jesus. All the sin of all the people from every age is placed on Jesus. This is why Jesus died. Jesus died as a substitute for my sin and for your sin, taking the punishment that you and I deserve. Our only hope in the world is the death of Jesus. And notice, with Jesus having died in my place, how much sin is left in my account? There's none. The barrier between me and God has been removed. I can now be reconciled to God. See, notice how verse 21 ends. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness means innocence, just as if I'd never done anything wrong, as if that whole record of my wrong has been taken away. Because of Jesus' death, God can now look at me and say, Lachlan, you're perfect. Now, if you know me, you know that's an absurd thing to say. I'm not perfect. Uh, you, You know me well enough, the things that I still do that hurt others. Yet before God, I am now innocent. Because God doesn't count my trespasses against me. It's as if I've never done any wrong by him at all. So I told you this was an amazing truth this morning. God has reconciled the world to himself. Because what's true for me is just as true for anyone who would come back to God and be reconciled to him. God's arms are open wide for reconciliation. His hand is out there for the handshake. He's leaned forward for the kiss. Don't leave God hanging this morning. Don't offend God further by saying to him today, oh, look, God, I see what you've done there. Yeah, it's pretty good that you're willing to forgive me, but no, I think I'm going to keep living for myself, thanks. 
I remember hearing of a marriage where the husband had been unfaithful to his wife, committed adultery. Now, the wife graciously was at a point where she was willing to forgive him and welcome him back and have another go at the marriage. But the husband refused to acknowledge that he'd done anything wrong. He minimized his unfaithfulness so as to make it pretty much meaningless. The wife stood there ready to be reconciled, but the husband rejected it because he was too proud to admit that he was in the wrong. That's a tragedy, isn't it? But even more tragic when people refuse to be reconciled to God. This morning, some of you here today, you need to turn back to God. So let me plead with you. Be reconciled to God. Admit that you've been living in hostility toward Him. Admit that you've been ignoring Him, dishonoring Him, replacing Him. If you will come back to God, He will have you this morning. If you're willing to stop living for yourself and start living for Jesus who died for you, then God will have you back. Be reconciled to God. Enter back into a perfect relationship with the good and loving God who created you and knows you and gave everything to you. Be reconciled to God. Later on this morning, I'll lead us in a prayer that's an example of what you might say to God if you are ready to come back to Him this morning. It's all the stuff that you might expect, the kind of language that we would use in human reconciliation as well, saying sorry to God thanking him for how good he is and asking him for his forgiveness. Today is a great day to be reconciled to your Heavenly Father. Before we get to that, God has more to say to us this morning, particularly to those who have already been reconciled to God. So if you've tuned out because you're like, oh no, he's talking about the gospel again, I've heard this all before, now's the moment to come back in because this passage is written primarily to Christians. Paul is writing in this letter, 2 Corinthians, to Christians who are already reconciled to God. There's a second point, the main point really of this whole passage, God has given us the message of reconciliation. God has given us the message of reconciliation. Come back again to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 19. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So this opens up for us the rest of the passage that was read for us this morning. Paul's point to us is this, God hasn't saved us for a life of aimlessness or indifference. God hasn't saved us so that we can go boating on the weekends or put together the most pics of our food on Instagram. God has saved us for a life of fruitful obedience to Christ. God has sent us, Christians, as messengers of reconciliation. And so Paul draws out this point for the Corinthians by taking them through his own life as an example. Have a look back to verse 11. Therefore... Because we know the fear of the Lord, we seek to persuade people. Good reading practice. There's a therefore here. It points us back to verse 10. So cast your eyes back up to verse 10. You'll see that Paul is talking about coming before Jesus as judge. 
Paul's aware that his life will be called to account before Jesus. And this tribunal, this judgment seat in verse 10, it's not the judgment of salvation. Paul doesn't live in a sense of constant dread that he may or may not be saved. Paul's confident that he's been reconciled with God because of the saving work of Jesus. No, instead, this is the judgment of how Paul has used his time as a Christian. Paul knows, and he's talked to the Corinthians already about this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You can write that down and read it later, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul knows that his work will be put to the test. And some of it, like wood and hay when fire comes, it's just going to be burnt up. But other of his work, like silver and gold, when it comes through fire, it's going to last. Because there are things that we do as Christians that are, quite frankly, worthless. But then there are other things that we do that matter for eternity. And the key thing we've learned so far from 2 Corinthians is our character growth. As we are transformed to become more and more like Jesus, transformed from glory to glory in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things, that character growth, that's going to last for eternity. It's going to be perfected into eternity. Other things that will last for eternity are people. People you announce the gospel to. People you teach in Sunday school or in a youth group. People that you care for and disciple in a Bible study group or in a serving team. People that you pray for. People you don't even know, but you're praying for them as you pray for that missionary that you're supporting and they're out there spreading the gospel. People endure. And so Paul, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that his work will be tested with an eye to God's judgment of all people, including God's judgment over his life, what does he do in verse 11? We seek to persuade people. Now you notice, I don't know, maybe Paul just wasn't a Kiwi, right? He doesn't say we seek to politely suggest that people should perhaps consider God if they've got enough time and it doesn't bother them too much. Paul doesn't leave people to their own truth. Paul persuades people. He takes people from their false view of reality and says, you've got it wrong, you need to shift your thinking. He changes people's minds. That's what persuasion is. Do you seek to persuade people about Christianity? Paul goes on in verse 11 to 13 to talk about his motives in this. He's not after money. He's not after worldly fame or popularity. He's not doing anything for his own sake. I I take it that's the force of verse 13. Whatever Paul's referring to there by being out of his mind or being of sound mind, he says that he's doing things either for God or for other people. There's nothing that Paul is doing for himself. So what is Paul's motive? Well, alongside his healthy fear of the Lord in verse 11 we find verse 14 that Paul is constrained, he's driven, he's compelled by the love of Christ. Have a look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Since we've reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Jesus Christ loved people so much that he died for them. And people need to hear the message of Jesus' death, or else it will just remain distant from them, ineffective in bringing them to life. God has entrusted to us the task of proclaiming that message. 
And so Christ's love compels Paul. If Jesus loved people enough to die for them, then Paul will love them to the point of dying for them too, that they might hear and understand the news of Jesus. I wonder if you felt it as Sarah read for us, 6 verse 3 to 10, Paul going through this long list of what he has suffered through. In the kids' talk, you saw it happen. Beatings, imprisonments. Uh, He suffered much. He was willing to do that so that people might hear of Jesus and have life. He saw Christ's love for people, that Christ would lay down his life. So Paul said, well, I'll lay down my life as well. And so Paul, compelled on the one hand by the fear of the Lord and on the other hand by the love of Christ, he persuades people. He recognizes that God has reconciled the world to himself and so he takes that news of reconciliation to the world. Now this is news for all people. Have a look at verse 16. From now on then, we don't know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. The Corinthians, if you've been with us, you've seen this issue come up time and time again. They had an issue with judging by outward appearances. They'd go down to the bookstore and they'd just look for the books with the pretty covers. That was the Corinthians. That's why Paul had to write this letter. People were judging Paul by appearances, and they were concluding that he was weak. Now, Paul says that uh, once we drew the same conclusion about Jesus. As Jesus hung there, bleeding on the cross, rejected by Israel, rejected by the Romans, Jesus at that point looked pathetic. Yet now we know that Jesus is actually God, that he reigns over all, over heaven and earth with all authority. So, we now know that looks can be deceiving. And as we look out into the world, like I mentioned back at the start, it doesn't always look like a world that is hostile towards God. There's a challenge for us as Christians to recognize that behind all the differences we see in humanity, there's only one difference that matters. Are people at peace with God or not? As we come to the concert tonight, we'll see pictures of kids that are suffering and they don't have enough to eat. And it can be easy to get caught up on that physical reality, but we can't let that blind us from the reality, are these kids at peace with God or not? That's what matters more. As we celebrate this morning, I don't know if you recognize, but all those families up on stage, I think there were six different ethnicities represented. We can look at those differences and we... we care about those, we want to celebrate that amongst us, but those differences don't really matter. There's one difference that matters. Are people at peace with God or not? That God would give us eyes to see people that way. That as we go into our workplace, as we go to the shops, as we interact in our world, we would see things as they truly are, not judging by outward appearances, but seeing where people stand with the Lord. Christ died for all, and Paul takes this message to all, whether rich or poor, Jewish or Greek, male or female. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has given us, God has given you the message of reconciliation. 
He has sent us to plead with people on his behalf, not to politely suggest, not to leave people content with their truth, but to persuade and to plead. And so Paul appeals to the Corinthians in 6 verse 1. Working together with him, that is God, we also appeal to you, don't receive God's grace in vain. For he says, I heard you in an acceptable time, and I helped you in the day of salvation. Look, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Friends, if you're here this morning as one who has been reconciled to God, as one who is a Christian, don't receive God's grace in vain. That is, don't waste the days, weeks, months, years that God gives you now that you've been reconciled to him. Don't waste them on things that will not last for eternity. Instead, give yourself to the things that will last. Give yourself to growing in Christian character, growing to be more like Jesus. And knowing the fear of the Lord, compelled by the love of Christ, give yourself, give your time, your money, your energy, give yourself as an ambassador for Christ, as a messenger of reconciliation. Any time that you spend teaching EV kids, Any time you spend with EV youth, time that you spend loving and discipling people in your connect groups or as you lead them in a serving team, at time you spend telling friends, family members or strangers about the love of Jesus, that time will not be in vain. The decisions you make to move city to help with a new church plant or move country as a missionary, that will not be in vain. Or the decision that you make to stay in a city even though you could take a job elsewhere that was a promotion with more money, but to stay and invest in the growth of the gospel, that will not be in vain. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Quoting Isaiah 49 here, Paul explains that these things are not in vain because now is the time when God is saving people. Now that Jesus has come, died and risen again, this is the day of salvation. God has reconciled the world to himself and he's given us, he's given you, the message of reconciliation. That's a privilege, isn't it? To be a co-worker with God. How will you use your time this week? Shaped by the reality that you are Christ's ambassador. What needs to change in the way that you're using your time, your energy, your money, if you recognize that this is who God has sent you to be? His ambassador sent into the world to proclaim his message of reconciliation. We're going to respond to God's word this morning by sharing in a symbolic meal. If you're new with us this morning, you've come on a great day where you get both the symbols of the Christian faith. Baptism, and we're about to share in the Lord's Supper. On the night before Jesus died, he shared a meal with his disciples that included some bread and some wine. The bread was to symbolize Jesus' body that was about to be given over to death to reconcile the world. The wine symbolized Jesus' blood poured out so that God could not count our trespasses against us. Christians have continued to share in this meal to remember how central Jesus' death is. We come into this meal with nothing, with empty hands, receiving Christ's work for us. In the same way that we bring to God nothing, We just rely on him to reconcile us. There should be a prayer up on screen that I'm going to pray uh, in a little while as we prepare to share the bread and the grape juice.
I want you to read through that prayer because today might be the day that you are reconciled to God. Or today might be another day when we who are already reconciled remember that we're not the way that we should be yet. And we return to God asking for his forgiveness. I'll be leading us in this prayer saying to God, sorry. Sorry that I've stuffed up. Sorry that I've broken our relationship. Thanks. Thank you that you have reconciled me to yourself. And please, please forgive me. Please be my God. If you'd like to join us in sharing this meal and praying this to God, some bread and some juice will be passed around. Feel free to take some of that. Hold on to it. The band's going to lead us in a song. It's going to sing a song for us while the words are up on the screen. Words that reflect for us this amazing truth of God's reconciling work. So if you're ready to be reconciled to God this morning, taking this bread and juice would be a great first step to go, yeah, I'm in. I want Jesus' death in my place. I want my record of wrong to be placed on him so that God won't count my trespasses against me. I want to be reconciled to God. If you're a Christian amongst us as well, take the bread and the juice, remembering what Jesus has done for you, that he is your only hope.